I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm willing to work as hard as I can. There is no past, there's no future, there's just this moment right here. If I did that, if I can get through that, like, come at me. Changing how I saw myself, like, as a man, not just as, as an athlete. It's okay that I struggle. It's okay, that's part of the deal. It's how I respond to it. This is the Limitless Athlete Podcast. I'm Tom Foxley, a founder of Mindset Rx and your host. Today is a deep dive into the world of injury and the mindset surrounding injury, what you can do around rehab, the common pitfalls you will encounter, and essentially how to not let your mindset get in the way of your rehab process. I'm speaking to Alex Morell, who's a physio who has worked with some elite sports teams. He now works um, a lot in the functional fitness community. Um, is yeah, he's, he's a really good guy and he is super knowledgeable and I had a great discussion with him. So now I bring you Alex Morell. So Alex, welcome to the show, dude. It's a real, uh, it's a pleasure to have you on board. No, I'm very excited, and, and thank you very much for having me, Tom. I appreciate the the opportunity to come on and talk injuries to people and, and rehab. You don't get to do that very often. People like the the fancier things. Yeah, it's um, it's not the sexy stuff, but it's the important stuff. Um, all apart from you, you bring the sex pill, obviously. But aside from that, <laughs> it's, it's not the sexy stuff. Um, let's get to know you a little bit before we we start this. How did you get it to this point in your life? Like, how did you get to um, physio injury? Like, wh- where did that interest start? Um, as I imagine, a lot of physios do from trying to sort of resolve things within my own body. Um, I grew up playing all sports, um, but then through sort of my my later teenage years, really focusing on cricket. I'm like a, a tall guy, I'm like six foot four, and was that from about fifteen or sixteen, and, and was playing cricket as an all rounder, but more of a bowling all rounder, and, and ended up with numerous problems with shins, groins, and then actually came to a head with a, a lower back, and I ended up having. Um, a fracture in my lower back, like an overuse type injury. Um, and I just started learning there of how to train better, recover better and resolve my own problems. Um, and then that led me to, right, what, what's the next thing? Um, like I, I played cricket to a, a decent standard and, and maybe at one point thought I could have gone somewhere with it, um, into a professional setting and professional sport. But unfortunately that didn't come to fruition, but. It was then right. How can I get into that professional sport environment? And, and physio seemed like the the next best best thing, really. Um, sort of fast forward and, and get into sixth form. And sixth form and I didn't agree. Let's put it that way. Um, I didn't attend as much as I should have done, and and therefore didn't achieve the results that I should have achieved. And ended up down a sports science route um, rather than a physio route. And, and at the time albeit very frustrating, it, it was actually a little bit of a blessing in, uh, in disguise from a perspective that having now done that and done a master's in physiotherapy, there's a lot, in my opinion, a lot of shortcomings in, in the traditional way that physiotherapy is, is taught and a lot of the education around it. And having that sports science, that strength and conditioning background, 
allowed me to sort of really establish myself as, a, as an MSK, musculoskeletal um, physiotherapist, a lot quicker, rather than having to learn some of the, the really like, and I, I say this now, foundation stuff, but it, it obviously isn't. It's just because of that that background. And, and that allowed me to step into working in a professional sports environment before actually finishing the master's. Um, and I just worked under the title of sort of like a sports massage therapist, a sports therapist, um, before being lucky enough to, to be offered jobs in full-time sport thereafter. And uh, the last sort of nine, ten years has just been a, an ongoing experience of, of sort of part-time sport mentorship within a private clinic and then transitioning into sort of six years of, of full-time sport and then decided I want a little bit of life back. Um, and we can talk about that actually, if if that's something that that you think people would be interested in. But um, and then went my own way, set my own business up, and 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 sort of live live life a little bit more on my terms now, and manage my own stresses, and and go down that route really. Yeah, because you were with um, was it Leeds Rhinos for a bit, and yeah, um, so England Rugby as well. Absolutely, yeah. So, so my my journey started with a, a job as head physio of Halifax Rugby League, who are in the championships, so sort of like tier two from a, a rugby league perspective. Um, and then I went over into rugby union with Yorkshire Carnegie, who unfortunately have sort of disbanded since then due to some financial issues and bits and pieces like that. But I was lucky enough to go from head physio of Yorkshire Carnegie into the sort of sister club, uh, Lee Rhinos, as their head physio. Um, for three years and and, and loved it um, but it is just it is all encompassing and and, and I, I, like I said I wanted to, to have a little bit more freedom and work on something that I'm building myself um, and then alongside that I've, I've had a part-time role within all different rugby, uh, England rugby league programs from sort of like under under 17s under 19s nights uh, women and some of the, the the senior stuff really yeah i bet the benefit of that um is the amount of reps you get to put in though like with being like exposed to that that kind of um physicality and like you, you see a ton of shit that you're like okay yeah that's going to be useful right <laughs> I, I literally had this discussion with um a peer of mine earlier and it's like literally every single collision from a, a rugby league perspective is the equivalent of a 30 mile per hour car crash and we all know what comes alongside that. And it, it really accelerated my learning one under the time pressures and some of the, the, the uh, financial pressures within professional sport to get people back as quickly as possible, but obviously then keep them back and, and not have a knock on consequence of, of re-injury and bits and pieces like that. But also like broken necks, broken backs, shoulder dislocations, traumatic knee injuries and it, it's just like thick and fast having to think on the fly and, and, and plan really sort of reactively and, and move quickly and, and, and get people to where they need to get yeah in one way that must be like the dream scenario for someone like in your position wanting to learn a lot it must be like right bring them on absolutely yeah i mean at the time when there was two of us managing sort of 40 full-time athletes it didn't feel like the uh mm -hmm. the dream scenario it did then it mm -hmm. didn't and now, mm -hmm. like looking back, it it really has benefited me and 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 significantly accelerated my career from a clinical perspective. Mm -hmm. Is if if I'd have gone down some more traditional routes, there's lots of things that I wouldn't have been exposed to even even sort of ten years down the line, really. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, definitely. So that was your first experience, I'm guessing, working with professional athletes, right? Yeah, so my first experience of working with professional athletes was at York City Football Club. Um, and I say professional now, but I don't even know if at the time they were semi-pro. Um, mm. But that was when I was studying my undergraduate at, in York. And um, and yeah, it's, it, it's just a completely different environment. Like Things just work at, at a much higher level. And you, you can see why the, the athletes and the, the people are there. Like you, you sort of watch it now from the outside and you think, oh, they're arrogant or they've got this about them, they've got this about them. But like that's probably what makes them great and makes them, them who they are. And there's a, there's a saying that goes around the best athletes, the best athletes, because they are the best athletes. And it is a lot of it is so inherent to them. And like, yes, there are other things that, that can certainly contribute to it. But there's there's sort of character traits, physical traits that enable them to be stars, essentially. From an injury or rehab perspective, or in prehab perspective as well, what do those athletes do very well? The the kind of the semi-serious, well, serious CrossFitter, but with other stuff going on in their life could take away and go like, okay, that is an approach that I could take towards prehab, rehab, whatever, and injury management. And what do they do poorly as well that is kind of a yeah what what do they do poorly that that they could improve a few a few examples coming to mind that I, I don't know whether i should share or not but like in all honesty they just do the basics really really well now it's very easy for me to say that because essentially they are paid to do that. And that's the thing that sort of since stepping away from that full-time environment and working with more sort of semi-professional athletes and that sort of semi-serious fitness style athlete and CrossFit athlete that you mentioned, there are so many other compounding factors that that sometimes the person needs to be a little bit kinder to themselves and actually recognize that that those nailing the basics is going to do the majority of the work for you. So like solid sleep, solid nutrition, actually some downtime and relaxation and, and, and looking after yourself and putting yourself first in, in that scenario. And the other big thing is like, especially from my experience within like a CrossFit world and a functional fitness world, it's actually appropriately managing workloads and People often think like, oh, I need the only way for me to get better is to do more and more and more and more. And he, the first thing it's going to do is going to create a hell of a lot of physical stress and potentially cause a lot of overload type injuries and, and maybe even some more sort of catastrophic injuries off the back of that. But also the the, the, the psychological stress associated with that mm -hmm. of like, actually, I'm stressing about a workout. How am I going to fit a workout in in three days' time? When actual fact, are you probably going to be better hitting less workouts in a week, sleeping more, having more energy from a, a physical and a mental capacity to go into the workout and get more out of it than than stressing over right? How am I going to get this morning session in, and how am I going to get get this afternoon session in? When you've got to manage relationships, work, travel, all these other bits, food prep, whatever it may be, 
um, and actually recognizing like what is the minimum effective dose that I can do and can sustain, and then how can I slowly sort of take that needle up, maybe ten percent a month or ten percent like every three months, or rather than right all so much so much so quickly all this is going to be beneficial to me and going to take me forwards when sadly nine times out of ten it doesn't yeah it's so like i I had a huge hunch that you'd say something along those lines but like it's really good to hear there's like it's such a societal trap though almost like the the expectations to do more and more and more and i'm sure you find this in your own business like when it's like okay i, I fall into the trap the whole time like okay to, to do better i've just got to serve more athletes that means more of this and it's like actually no like that isn't having the impact and like to like you must find this but like in terms of meal prep sometimes it might be might be a good thing not to prep your meals and just chill out for a bit um sometimes it might be like um not getting that session in and but that's such a, a difficult conversation to have with someone when i'm guessing someone comes to you and they're just like i just want some um whatever their preconceptions of physio is like some i want a trigger point release and i want to be walking out of here to pain free um like to to give them an idea of like do less not more um it's quite a difficult conversation to have hundred percent, especially when I'm sat on the other side of that conversation and thinking, I, I had a discussion with, with sort of some friends and some colleagues and peers of mine at the beginning of the year. And it was like, right, we've had the Christmas break. And now why have we all come back in January and gone 110%? Why can't January just be like, I'm just going to, this is the plan for the whole year. And I'm just going to slowly keep moving the needle and moving the needle and accumulating and, and accumulating and compounding the work that I'm doing mm-hmm. rather than going, right, I'm going to do all of this right now. And it, it is interesting. I, from a, a clinical perspective, I'm quite open and honest with people. And I, I, say, I share with them my thoughts and feelings on my personal side of things from a business perspective. Mm-hmm. Like I still train like eight to ten hours a week like i'll do a bit of jujitsu gym um conditioning bits and things like that and and i i have the equal challenges but equally over time and through sort of really obvious and practice reflection there are days that i wake up and i go right i'm not actually going to go to that jujitsu class this morning and out an extra an hour half in bed is going to be far more beneficial to me and then i can go tomorrow mm-hmm. and i can hit it with some more intensity learn learn better etc etc um but yeah it, it is it's a it's a difficult conversation and, and something that i and we as a company are really trying to make a concerted effort to spend more time communicating better with with our clients and the the people that we serve but also educating them really heavily on doing the basics really really well mm-hmm. and one of the things that we've done recently for our clients is we we've sort of created a members lab and the first 20 videos that went in there weren't anything injury specific. They weren't anything mobility specific. It was right. What is pain? What to do when pain happens, but also lifestyle factors like sleep, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And we just go, right, go study that. I want you to nail the basics. We'll take care of some of the rehab bits and things like that. But you need to know those bits pretty much inside out or very well before we start thinking about right, what's this supplement going to do for me? What's this release work going to do to do for me? Because I, I use the analogy a lot. You're trying to close a closed door. If you're, and you're just banging your head against it and banging your head against it, if you're sleeping five hours a night, but then working on releasing your glutes to help you back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, it is, it's a challenge, but one that we're, we're 
we're more than happy to take on really yeah it's it's funny isn't it it's like the the 20 percent that has the 80 percent results but it's not glamorous stuff it's the not sexy stuff um and by the way like i'm guessing like i'm gonna make an assumption that you are a decent level athlete like in terms of jiu-jitsu in terms of training like you can hold your own right and you're but you're having that flexibility within your training to say like actually i'm going to take some steps back from this i'm not gonna wake up at whatever time because i value my sleep and it's like are you seeing that um you seeing that affect your training level like deleteriously or are you just not seeing an impact on that like i'd like to think i'm a i'm a decent level athlete like I'd like to think I could rock up and do most things like I could do a turf games and things like that so to give people an idea but like in all honesty no mm-hmm. I, yeah I missed a session I move on uh, um, and, and, and go for the next one it, it, it is again it's a discussion that, that we have to have with our clients relatively regularly because the way that we do sort of our rehab is it's a little bit more all-encompassing and we take care of the, the person's full program so if you come to us with a knee we're looking after your upper body your lower body your conditioning and everything and and someone might miss a day for whatever reason work illness whatever and so many people will then try and catch all of that work up rather than just saying right that day's passed, park it, mm-hmm. what can I do well to win the next day? And how can I start building that momentum again? It is just like, I, I have to I have to do everything that's written down for me on the sheet, which is great as well. Like, mm-hmm. it, it, it's one of them sort of cruxes that it's like, oh, if I just ignored everything, mm-hmm. I'm not doing the work I need to do. But it is listening to your body. And it's only through time and, and experience and education that, that someone will truly understand it and the fear goes away yeah of like oh if i miss a session like that they might be uh, that might be me not podium at this next next competition or it might be me not being able to progress x skill but like you've got to think long term rather than short term yeah yeah i th- I think it's the fear of uh not being perfect as well like perfectionism is yeah. this huge driver in society and it's like if i'm anything less than perfect then i'm a failure um that's the kind of weird assumption that we we have and weird in terms of like logically weird but emotionally it sits it's it's what i've got to nail this absolutely perfectly but it's like you're striving for excellence or you're striving for perfection that's your that's your choice and part of excellence is giving yourself permission to be a bit self-compassionate and take some time off. Um, so when, when injury inevitably strikes, um, we spoke for a fraction of a second before this about like framing injury. I'd love to know yeah. your thoughts on, on framing injuries. So like the obvious initial assumption is that an injury is a negative experience, um, which it is, it isn't a positive thing. Like, one, you're in pain. Nobody wants to be in pain. Two, yes, it probably impacts your life in lots of negative ways. You're not able to do the thing that you love with the people that you enjoy. But when we actually look at an injury, the way that we 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 look at it, and I'd encourage people to look at it, is there's a reason why that injury has happened. And the why on the surface might be a poor movement pattern, or it might be a lack of strength in the quads if it's a knee injury. But then if we strip it back another level is, right, that has been there for a long period of time. That's not just happened overnight. 
But what's happened on that day, which has exacerbated that deficit or underlying sort of reason that we've led to this injury, and we can start unfolding there and, and create opportunities. And I, and I use the terminology, every injury is an opportunity, whereby we can start digging a little bit deeper into, right, what previous injuries might impact your performance at the moment? Because the way that I actually encourage people to, to view the injury is, right, this isn't rehab, it's performance-based training, and we're aiming to come back at a level of performance, which exceeds where you were at previously and didn't fulfill the job that you were trying to push it to. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. And and then the other side to, to think of it is, it's a very big learning opportunity because going back to what we discussed there, it's right, I'm trying to burn the candle at all ends and I might have maybe like for me, for example, I've had a previous back injury and I know that my back can get a little bit tweaky from time to time. But I know during periods of higher stress, I am a bit more susceptible to that. That might be as a result of some sort of physiological changes from a breathing perspective. Like stress impacts breathing, it impacts our autonomic nervous system. It impacts the way that our diaphragm and pelvic floor moves. And as a result of that, that impacts the way that my spine, my hips, my pelvis, my ribcage moves. And is that making me more susceptible to tweaking my lower back? Then there is a there is a plausible reason why that could, could happen. So that not only allows me to go, right, I need to keep working on these things, but it's right, what, what parts of my life are causing this stress that I probably need to address as well, rather than just I need a stronger core. I need to do more stretching. Like, yeah, you might need to do that physically, but what are the predisposing sort of factors which are leading that to be exacerbated at that time? And and think about it like a bucket. Like, as that as a bucket is filling up with stresses, and they might be physical stresses in terms of training load, they might be lack of sleep, poor nutrition, work stress, relationship stress. That water's filling up to the top of the bucket. And it just takes a little bit to drop out of that bucket and the pain experience starts to, to happen because and we can dig deeper and, and maybe discuss the, the pain science thing, side of things a little bit later. But if you go away, how many people go away on holiday and come back and they actually feel better because they've probably relaxed, de-stressed and emptied that bucket to a certain extent? And then they can start to build things up again. But if we can start identifying, you know, this is a stress this week. I've just had a really big argument with my partner. I've just, I've had two poor nights sleep on the trot. The next time that happens, mm-hmm. the red flags are going. And right, maybe I just need to dial my training back a little bit alongside working on some of the rehab, prehab bits that I'm working alongside in my, my training and my performance-based training. And then that learning opportunity allows us to string not one block of training, but two blocks, three blocks, four blocks of training together. And as we'd mentioned earlier, that allows that compounding effect over time that your performance just goes bang, 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 rather than two steps forward and one step back. Yeah. 
And that requires a lot of humility as well to think like, I'm, I'm not going to just be able to crush through this. I'm just going to be, I'm going to have to accept that I'm a finite human being and I have some limitations and that's part of life. Like the thing that came up both when you're talking about like starting in January and just then as well, is like the commonality between those things. Well, two commonalities is one, you feel like full of energy and you want to crush things. And the other thing is you've had some time off and you've taken some time to do it. It's like, yeah when you give yourself time sufficient time from i'm talking from mindset perspective but obviously it's true from the physiological perspective too when you give yourself time without stresses your body adapts to like or your body is readying itself to encounter stress again like it's getting ready to that stage um and that seems it's like something that we just don't do like, i'm forever banging on my athletes like same exact same things it's funny we're t- i'm talking about it from a mindset perspective you're talking about it from physio but it's like are you sleeping properly are you hydrating well? What's your screen time like? Like all these kind of cons- like fundamental things, foundational things that um, massively impact all of these things. Hundred percent. And I, again, like from a from a self reflection side of things, personally, I now feel like I'm tuned into a, uh, from a point of view that like, I can actually feel myself become more irritable. I can feel maybe like from a, a heart rate perspective and, and, and some of the, the devices we have now around whoop and, and Garmin and bits and pieces like that might show this, but like people might look at that data and go, all right, okay, but why, why has my average heart rate gone up by 15% for the last two days? Mm-hmm. Like, do I need to put some, a, a, something in place that allows me to do it? But like the other, the other way to look at it is you would train, let's say we're, we're doing, cleans or squats it doesn't really matter you would allow an appropriate amount of rest for a a positive adaptation to happen it's the same in everything else like i'm going to push work 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 from a a business perspective but actually i need to have a bit of downtime for those things to come to fruition and for me to then go again i've i've got to one limit relax and then i can peak again and end up being at the next limit relax peak again and that super compensation begins to happen in all forms of life not just from a a physical perspective yeah on like a micro and a macro level between sets and then also like seasons like you have in your off season whereas like every semi-serious crossfit that i know refuses to have an off season they refuse to take three four weeks of like down training just like chilling out like kind of hitting the gym occasionally like and just going for a few runs and like going mountain biking or trying some new sports or anything because like this fear of missing out it's like this fomo mentality that think we think we have to keep on crushing um and it's just yeah a little bit of time out would just really get people back in i think it also makes me sort of like the skeptic in me makes me and i just thought about that then are they actually because they're at that sort of level the whole time? Are they do they have the energy availability to hit an intensity that actually requires them to properly deload? Would they benefit from actually that period of time to deload and then come back and hit an intensity where they go, oh shit, yeah, I do need to, to relax and, and rest after that? Or are you just maintaining this mid level threshold level where you're sort of slowly moving the needle? rather than that big differential in intensity and then relax yeah and then also on that is like this i think that is like redlining and like are you redlining your willpower 
like because it requires a hell of a lot of mental toughness and and like conscious control to push into those zones and for me it feels like you get up to that's like seven thousand rpm you start bouncing that that rev meter and then it just like the engine starts dying and you start creeping back down it's like okay so now i can only my new red line is three and a half thousand and that's just like in the willpower like conscious decision making but if we're doing that in not just training but um regards to nutrition regards to like rehab it regards to work relationships um parenting every other role we feel in life like it, it's not sustainable 100 100 percent. and i get so many people that go through a rehab process for me and actually pb mm-hmm. and that's not because i'm doing anything different it's probably because i'm i'm educating them on that but i'm actually stripping things back a little bit so it, it's a, a a deload initially and then we slowly build volume so they again do they have the the energy availability to do that like we yes our coaching is good and our programs are good but so are so many other people's mm-hmm. and it's just education buying trust etc etc exactly exactly yeah trust trust in you trust in the process it's um yeah. And trusting, like, uh, yeah, trusting himself comes into that as well. I want to get onto pain science because that's um, uh, the subject that I'm fascinated with because of the subjectivity within it. Like, what are you, like, what are your thoughts on it? What are your um, kind of fundamental points that you try and get across to people that you work with? So it is a very challenging topic to talk about because. People's perceptions of pain are largely governed by their previous experiences, um, both to them personally, but also to friends, family members, maybe athletes that they've seen in the past that, oh, they've had this injury, so automatically this applies to me, et cetera, et cetera. But I try and keep things as, as simple as possible from a pain perspective. And to explain it to you, how I'd explain it to someone that I was working with, Pain is essentially an output or a sensation of the brain. And that output is a byproduct of multiple different inputs which are going in. Now, those inputs may be on a physical level from sensory receptors, which are in our joints, in our skin, muscles, tendons, etc., etc. And they might be putting in messages to the brain from a compression perspective, a touch perspective, a heat perspective. Um, a um, stretch perspective, whatever that may be. And your brain essentially wants one thing, and that's to survive. It wants to stay safe and it wants to stay alive. And if your brain perceives any of those inputs, those messages in as a potential threat, a protective reaction is to produce a painful sensation or a spasm as an output to essentially go, right, hold on, you need to stop here. Because what studies show us, and these studies are in sort of thousands and thousands of people, you might do an MRI of a thousand people on their backs. None of these people have any history of back pain, but there is a very high and significant amount of people within these that have disc bulges, that have disc degeneration, and they report zero history of back pain. Now, there's got to be a reason for that. It's not all physical. It might be these people have have never experienced, have never sort of, if we go back a long time, 
a back problem would just be called a back sprain. Now, from a mindset and a psychological perspective, if I tell you you've got a back sprain or if I tell you you've got a bulging disc, mm-hmm. what sounds worse? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I'm thinking. Yeah. Exactly. You know that a sprain heals, which most bulging discs heal within six to 12 months. But you know and through experience that a sprain will just heal. Yeah. But with modern technology, we can look at things and give them labels and give them names that sound really scary and sound really over-medicalized. And they need to be. Like, you can't ignore these things. But actually understanding the reasons behind that. And, right, we might need to go through an assessment and move a little bit better mm-hmm. through this hip or build a little bit more strength in this area, which mm-hmm. then changes that input. And then that allows the brain to be reassured it's safe and changes the output. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So there's, yeah, the the emotional aspect comes into my mind as well of like, what story are you telling yourself? What have you seen displayed with this? Like, um, it's so interesting whenever, (laughs) whenever you see like two families collide. So with like my family, my wife's family, you see those kind of stories meet between between each other right and there's one story about injury and there's another story about injury and this happens like wherever we go i think and it we categorize an event based on that story that we're telling ourselves and like just like you're saying that the back pain and what that is like whether it's a good thing or a bad thing even like the opportunity versus the the obstacle in there as well it's like the framing of that within like of what you regard as pain like there's there's so much to that and um my mind's going a million different directions at the moment with that yeah no absolutely and, and like and even let, let's use a back pain as an, an example and you may not be able to squat and hinge and things like that but can you work on your upper body pulling and pushing strength probably mm-hmm. is that going to serve you in the long run as an adult uh, as a athlete mm-hmm. definitely Mm-hmm. There is always a there is always an option, and and again, sort of one of my biggest gripes is you go to see your GP or other practitioners, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and you need to rest. Rest doesn't answer anything. If anything, rest de- deconditions you on a physical level, so that when you actually come back to moving, exercising, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, you are in a worse spot than you started with. Your brain still believes that it needs to protect these things because we've not created any sort of adaptation on a physical or neurological level by moving into new ranges of motion, actually putting inputs into the brain that challenge it to adapt and challenge it to understand new ways of solving movement challenges and -hmm. and creating more movement options that you just end up down this spiral because then you then think, right, I need to rest more. I get weaker i lose muscle mass a decondition etc etc and i think one of the 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 things that i I really wanted to touch on is like the your your experiences your expectations are going to drive a lot of physiology as well and if we think about fight and flight and rest and digest so two sort of ends of the spectrum from an autonomic nervous system perspective. Some of the more physiological things that are going to change as a result of that are heart rate, blood pressure, respiratory rate. And we use a lot of breathing drills with our athletes and with our clients because the only way that you can consciously control that autonomic nervous system is through breathing and breath work. And 
if we can shift you from this fight and flight, which commonly comes out as breath holding, mouth breathing, lots of tension, um, and we can shift you to more of that rest and digest, the level of overall sensitivity within your body is going to decompress and desensitize. So then actually that pain experience starts to reduce because mm. the all sensations become a little bit duller as a result of that. You're more relaxed. You start to be a little bit more open to learning and talking and, and being a bit more emotionally available on that side of things. And it, it it's a very complex, it's a very, as I said at the beginning, pain is very complex, but we just try and simplify it into, right, we just need to get to this step. And so you're going to get to this step with really objective ways of doing that and hitting some key goals and here are your strategies to do that. And here's some education along with that about what that, that looks like. Yeah. Yeah. There's, um, actually I'm interested by what types of breath work you use to, um, to assist people to get more parasympathetic. So we don't overcomplicate. Like I've gone down multiple different avenues from a breathing perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things I just highlight to people and talk about is, are you familiar with Brian McKenzie? Yeah. So I, his course was really, really good um, in my opinion. And we just talk to people about, right, what actual effects does mouth breathing have? Mm-hmm. In terms of, right, if you're breathing through your mouth, the actual airway is bigger, so you're taking in more oxygen. When your, bra- when your brain perceives taking in more oxygen, it feels like it has to, something is happening. Mm-hmm. You're physically exerting yourself. There's something to sort of drive everything up, heart rate, blood pressure, etc. So if we can even just switch to a nose breathing strategy, we're starting to desensitize. Mm-hmm. Like that's probably where I leave it in the first session with someone. And all I'll do is I'll just say, right, I want you to put five stickers in the five most common places that you go, like laptop, toilet, kettle, coffee, whatever it is. And every single time you do that, just check in with yourself. Like, am I, am I breathing through my nose or am I breathing through my mouth? If I'm breathing through my nose, am I able to put my tongue on the roof of my mouth, relax my jaw, keep my lips together, mm-hmm. and then breathe? in and out through my nose right let's create that as a subconscious habit before we even think about some sort of more conscious based breathing techniques um we we've used in the past like box breathing some pyramid sort of sets mm-hmm. and things like that i tend to go to box breathing if i'm going to use it um more because it's just easier to understand um and we've played around with like bolt scores and things like mm-hmm. that and and breath holds. Um, Again, I just try and keep it as simple as possible. I I know that someone in pain and someone that's injured has a huge amount of stress anyway. Mm -hmm. So adding extra stuff isn't... Exactly. If I can take away as much stress and as much complication as possible and just give give them a really, really simple, um, digestible, actionable step, I'll stick at that. And then if we need to dig deeper, we we can dig deeper but a lot of the time people just need to recognize these things and i i I see it myself like if i've had a stressful day and i've had a couple of coffees i might sit there in the afternoon i'm like my mouth's really dry Mm -hmm. all right i'm sat breathing through my mouth like again it's it's what we spoke about earlier like just recognizing some of these things yeah awareness 
awareness. And I think exactly. that's that's part of the opportunity that um, injury is presenting you. It's that absolutely that opportunity to yes, physiologically improve and address some of the root causes and the kind of the foundational challenges, but also from a character and a mindset perspective address some of the kind of even like i'm gonna say even more fundamental just in terms of like it happens further along the chain or further at the beginning of the close to the beginning of the chain of just like what's driving these is it stress is it your ability to regulate your emotions is it the fact that you haven't trained your discipline like what what's going on there that we can we can um address and like the foundation of everything that we're talking about it's like self-awareness what patterns are you repeating subconsciously and how can we draw attention to those absolutely and i I think within that sort of reflective piece that there can be that it has to come back to is this serving me Mm-hmm. Like, are, the, are, the, are the, the things that I repeatedly do serving me to to do this for a period of time and put blocks blocks of training together? Because like mm-hmm. one of the one of the my my favorite sayings is the best physical ability is availability, and it's a bit corny, it's a bit cheesy, but the more training sessions you can turn up to, the better you are going to be at your sport, irregardless of what that sport is. So sometimes doing less will allow you to be more available in the long run and that therefore allow you to do more over time and accumulate more time and volume and load and intensity. Nice. Really nice. Is there anything else that you want to touch on today that you think is important for people to know? I think like the the only other thing I would I would touch on is the way that people view injury and the the perception that they maybe need, it doesn't matter what the profession is, whether it's a physio, whether it's a sports therapist, whether it's a chiropractor, but there's almost this perception that when you get injured, you need to go to someone to quote unquote fix you. Now, if we actually look at some of the research, there isn't much research that supports hands-on therapy at all. Now, yes, it does help, but it does it help because people believe it's going to help. Yeah. Is there an element within that that's just oh, there's some human touch or someone sat and listened to me? I've told someone my problems. I feel like I've de-stressed. But, and that's not to undervalue the treatment that people have, but there has to be a degree of ownership taken by the person to maybe go through some of these sort of reflective thoughts and, and pieces that we've discussed here of what is serving them and what isn't and not becoming over reliant on I need a massage every week to keep my back at bay. I need I, I need this I need to be put back in place mm-hmm. by a chiropractor to keep this at bay. Actually, if you need to do that over time, is it really making a tangible difference? Or do you need to change something within the training or within your lifestyle mm-hmm. that you don't have to repeatedly do. Mm. Yeah. And like, I think there's also the, to add in there to a little bit of nuance as well. It's like, maybe you, maybe you do want to continue that practice because actually that 
down regulating for an hour or half an hour and the physical touch that comes along with that which we know helps improve regulation and they're just chilling the fuck out for a bit maybe that's that maybe that is worth paying for and maybe that's a trade-off you make um but there is then the um like it it kind of reminds me of um Kelly Strett's first book, Becoming a Supple Leopard. Is that his first book? I think it was. But just where, like, the the whole piece there about, like, we need to create a manual to, for you to look after your own body. Like, it's, that doesn't exist and, or it it kind of does exist, but it's quite disparate. And being able to put that ownership back in the individual is, is a huge thing to be able to do. So, and like, from a professional point of view, you've got two choices. It's either help people help themselves or, portray yourself as the master who can serve everyone and only you have to come to me and it's um a little bit of an ego trip so it's nice to see you, nice to see you're on the other side of that that's a very different discussion that one and, and, and yeah. i'm sure one for another day but it's yeah. uh no absolutely and it's it is recognizing some of the why and, and the education around it like i personally know that i don't like going for a massage because i tense up because it hurts mm-hmm. but i like having acupuncture because i lay on my front and i don't move because i've got needles stuck in me and I'm not looking at my phone and I just switch off for 30, mm-hmm. 30 minutes to 45 minutes. Yeah. Um, and it's great that it works and people find those strategies, but also can, what can you be doing that you take ownership of that sort of allows you to use them for the right reason? Yeah. Nice. I think that's a great place to wrap up, dude. Where can people find out more about you? So uh, Instagram would be Alex Morel Physio. Um, and from a business perspective, we are move physiotherapy.co.uk. But DMs is probably the pl- best place. Feel free to drop me a message. I'm happy to, to help in any way that I can. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time. No, I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Limitless Athlete podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes and find me on Instagram, Tom Foxley, T-O-M-F-O-X-L-E-Y, so that you don't miss out on your opportunities to, well, train your mindset and make it better and live a better life.